Tonight, a study that I've entitled, What to Do After the Victory. Anybody in here ever had some of your worst failures right after you've had your greatest victories? <laughs> right from this passage of Scripture. You know, you go through some crazy, intense time uh, where the Lord is good and gracious and you know, meets you and you have some tremendous victory in your life spiritually and then you hit the dirt and the rocks really hard the following day. Maybe you don't make it through the whole day. Maybe you barely make it home and you get socked right between the eyes with something that uh, is is a difficult time. And so... I want to help you here as this passage leads into the seventh chapter, which we'll study in a couple of weeks after our breakfast. It's extremely important to lay hold of the truths in the remaining part of chapter six, because you're going to see that Joshua had the same thing happen to him in chapter seven. The children of Israel had the same thing happen in chapter seven. And so it's extremely important to realize what the Lord is saying to the children of Israel, because uh, you've got the victory. Uh, You need to make sure that you're geared up for what lies ahead. And so the Lord gives us some spiritual pointers tonight in the remaining part of chapter 6. So from verse 17 to verse 27, let's ask the Lord to speak to us by his word. Father, thanks for this time. Thank you for your people. Lord, thanks for this church. Thanks for the place that we have to meet and gather together and enjoy each other's company and fellowship. And Father, the coffee, the good things that you've given us that allow us uh, the privilege to be here tonight. Thanks for the cars that drove us here. Thank you for your goodness, your blessings. Pray now that as we open your word that you would speak to us, instruct us with its power. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 17 here in Joshua chapter 6. And now the city wall shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. You remember that God has won the battle. It's already been waged. It's already been fought in the heavenlies. God has secured it. It's a done deal. Uh, there, there is nothing to worry about with that regard. Teresa, if we could turn my mic down, just turn the volume down a little bit. It's a little noisy. It's ringing up here, so it must be loud out there. <laughs> Thank you. Much better. It and all who are in it, and only Rahab the harlot shall live, and she and all who were with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that were sent. And there's some wonderful lessons throughout this remaining part of the chapter. We'll get to the third one in a little bit. But notice, God takes care of his own. Amen? You know, sometimes we have to remember that in the world that we live in today because it's pretty tempting to just get depressed. You look at the world and it's a mess. So you look at what's going on in the world, maybe your neighborhood, maybe in your own home there's a you know, significant mess that's being made uh, spiritually. Maybe you've got some unsaved family. But God always has an eye on his kids. And he knows exactly where they are. And even when the world's walls come tumbling down, the Lord has his own in his hands. And so tonight, we see the the message that's going to be sent. She did her part. 
She believed by faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of Israel, Jehovah God, Yahweh, Lord of hosts. She had placed her faith there, and because of that, she and her family would receive the blessing of believing by faith. And you, by all means, now notice where it goes. These passages of Scripture for us sometimes are a little difficult because in one sense they were spoken to the children of Israel, but in a spiritual sense the truth remains. And the truth is is that you, me, the church, are a called out people. We've been called to be set apart, sanctified. We've been washed. We've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. We've been made righteous in Christ Jesus. And so that battle, though won by grace and through faith, uh, still rages for us today. There are wars to be uh, waged. There are battles yet to be fought. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver, the gold, the vessels of bronze and of iron are consecrated to the Lord and they shall come into the treasure house of the Lord. And so Joshua begins to open up here with the central truth that the whole of this battle and all that was in it Uh, The victory that was won was won by the Lord, and everything taken was God's. And whatever he wanted to do with it was his business. And so it's a picture of our commitment in our relationship to God through Christ Jesus as our Lord. God is not interested in having uh, 85% of you and 15% of it being trash. He's not interested in having 50% nor 25% and the remainder being the accursed things of this world. God has paid for your life with the blood of his son Jesus and he has asked 100% of you. All of it. Now admittedly, do we fail at times? Of course. Is there grace for our slip-ups? Yes. Is his mercy new every morning? You better believe it and thank the Lord God that that is true. But do not take that as a license to do what you please. And the picture here is, if you remember the rules of war, and we'll get to them in a moment, for the Jewish people, they were entitled to the spoils of war. And so on one hand, you could kind of look at the fleshly side of this and go, God, you know, these are perfectly good sheep. These, these houses, how come you have to destroy I mean, we could have made this a nice little encampment. After all, look across the river. We don't exactly have homes out there in the Acacia Grove. Why couldn't you just give us the stuff? And so the picture is one that is important to us. There are a lot of things that look tempting and tasty in this world that will test you, that will test your mettle as to whether you're going to be 100% gods or not. And just because they look good does not mean that they are good. And just because they look like they ought to be yours, because perhaps you've done well in some area of your life, if the Lord tells you, thus says the Lord, I would encourage you to listen to thus says the Lord and do not touch. 
haste take the accursed things. There are a lot of things in life that the world has to offer that to us can lead to ruin inside of the camp. Obviously, we do live in the age of grace, but we also have to recognize that sin has its consequences and its ramifications, and we're going to see those uh, in grave detail, especially in chapter 7. So everything here is dedicated to the Lord. And so this city became, if you will, a type of the first fruits uh, of the victory in, in the land of Canaan. And you have to remember for a moment, and we won't belabor it tonight because it's not tremendously important. I've shared with you many times the gods of the Canaanites that they worship, the idolatrous gods, were about as perverse as have ever existed on the face of the earth. They had temple prostitutes. They believed in, in sexual perversion of about every type that you can possibly imagine. And in fact, their gods represented generally about as degraded a culture as one could ever possibly imagine. It was basically party time with the Canaanites 24-7, 365. And so that was very attractive to the flesh of those who had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, their idea of fun was counting quail and picking up manna, okay? So they, they had not been to a good party in a long time. And so the enemy knew what to throw at them in the form of the Canaanites. And so as they looked at this city, in fact, we'll get to the story of that guy that probably many of you know, Achan, and his sin in chapter 7. So God says, look, guys, this city is a curse, and I want you to show your dedication to me by doing exactly what I tell you to do. And in fact... I'm going to ask you to give some things up that you're actually entitled to. We call those things liberties, don't we? There are a lot of liberties in life. So I've shared with you, if you feel like you have the liberty to go have a beer or two, that's a liberty. But is it something that a believer ought to engage in? Or is it just an opportunity for the devil to get into your life? And I say to you, the latter of those two things is true. Nothing inherently wrong with having a cigar now and then. You ladies look kind of dumb with them hanging out of your mouth. But if the Lord, you know, gave you the opportunity, I, I can't find a verse that says, you know, hey, it's, you know, it says right here in First uh, Jeff fourteen three, thou shalt not smoke stogies. There isn't one of those in there. But I can tell you this. You look at the lifestyle of most people who engage in that behavior, and it's generally not good. So where are you going when you take up those things? Where are you headed? Are you headed towards the Lord, or are you perhaps heading away from Him? So there are a lot of things in life that you could look at and go, "Yeah, that's not so bad." I mean, come on, I'm gonna just I'm gonna sneak a couple of sheep out of Jericho. I mean, I got zero sheep. We haven't had meat in weeks. And so, why slaughter the sheep and leave them in there? Do you see the temptation? Yeah, 
well, I can just play, you know, I mean, after all, what's wrong with going down to San Manuel and, you know, pulling a few one-armed bandits? God might want to bless me. Doubt it very seriously. The statistics are not in your favor. And for the most part, it becomes a place of ruin in most people's lives. The liberty, you could do it, but the question becomes, is it going to be all that pleasing to God? And I think the answer is pretty much emphatically no. So the Lord is setting the stage for these guys to understand what it means to walk with Him. 100% committed. Verse 20, notice how it continues now. And so the people shouted and the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. The people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat. Exactly what was promised happened. Victory was assured. They could walk in. They'd have to fight their way in. And the people went up into the city, every man straight before him. And they took the city, and it was utterly destroyed, all that was in the city, both man and woman and young and old and sheep and donkey by the edge of the sword. Now, I want to tell you that we have a pretty tough time with this passage of Scripture, especially today. We have a tough time with the death of children, innocent no doubt to some degree. But this should give you cause to reflect for a moment as to why God would possibly make that kind of demand from His people. Something so unbelievably serious that the lives of children, the lives of women, the lives of innocent animals would be forfeit. And I want you to lay hold of that for just a moment in your mind. Isn't God a God of mercy? You can say, yes, He is, because He is. Can I tell you that sometimes the most merciful thing God does is kill people? I guarantee you it was merciful when Hitler took his last breath. I guarantee it. Saddam Hussein, same thing. That's mercy at work. When a police officer has to use his weapon to take the life of someone who's going to shoot innocent children, that is God's mercy. The question becomes for us, who determines those things? It is supposed to be God. You see, in this passage, we, we have something that's tough to understand. Anybody else here got a few things in the world that you have a tough time understanding? I don't know why children are born with birth defects. I don't know why healthy people get cancer. I don't know why people who've been faithful at their employment for decades lose their jobs. I don't know why people who have made every mortgage payment on time lose their houses. There are things to me in, in God's timing and purpose and economies on this earth that I look at, and if I were Him, I'd do it differently. But I'm not Him. But when He speaks, I need to be listening. I need to hear what He has to say. 
And so I want to give you a little insight here, if I can. If you remember, this, this commandment's not a new one. This isn't something new to the children of Israel. And in fact, Moses in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, uh, gave Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 20 the divine law of war. The whole chapter is about this, this subject matter. And what you find there, and it says in verses 15 uh, through 17 in the 20th chapter of Deuteronomy, thus you shall do to all the cities which are very far from you, which are not cities of these nations, but the cities of these peoples, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. You shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. You shall utterly destroy them. The Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, just as the Lord God has commanded you. Why in the world would God do that? The answer is, He hates sin. And He wants a holy people. God both hates sin and loves sinners. But God has a tolerance for sin. And that tolerance, when it's up, it's up. And we don't know when that tolerance is up. So the easiest way to avoid all of these things is when God offers an escape, you take it. When God sends grace, you grab it. When you have an opportunity to believe by faith, you fall on it. It's time for us to realize that God wants His people a holy people. He's always wanted His people a holy people. It's never been anything different. Now, praise God for His his mercy. Amen? All at once, from where... Amen. From where is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords going to come? The Jewish people. Amen? God wanted a holy seed. Malachi 2 tells us that. God wanted His Son to be born of a holy people. Not a defiled people. Can I tell you that God still wants His sons and His daughters born of a holy people, not a defiled people? And that's why Christians who engage in sinful behaviors are an abomination to God. And they're a detriment to the church. Still, to this day. Don't mess with it. It's not a good idea. It can be extremely costly. Before besieging those cities that were afar off, the Jews, because of what it says in the early part of chapter 20, were to offer an escape. They would make peace, if at all possible. Can I tell you, that's exactly what your Bible says. He has come, that the world through him might be saved. It's his desire that none should perish. Second Peter, none should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge that would save them. Absolutely everyone is what he wants to have happen. He wants all of us to to know him. But that unspeakable wickedness 
had a horrible effect. Can I tell you that unspeakable wickedness still has a horrible effect on the children of God, be they Jew or Gentile, be they we who are children of grace or they who are of the tribe of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I can tell you there have been an awful lot of families destroyed by wickedness. And about every flavor, shape, and size that you can think of. Probably all of us know some family that's been affected by some form of sexual sin of one kind or another. Whether it's fornication or homosexuality or some manner of adulterous behavior or pornography or all kinds of evil in the movies and television and clubs and you name it. Has that not affected the body of Christ? I personally know, I can think of off the top of my head, standing here right now, more than a dozen pastors who no longer are pastors because of that very issue. Because sin creeps in, it's subtle, and you live with it for a while, and then all of a sudden, boom, it bites you. And so God says, don't let any of it survive. And so metaphorically speaking, it's really a picture of sin, period, that we're talking about here. That, unfortunately, is what these people represented. As harsh as it is, as hard as it is for us to understand it. And so when you read the Old Testament, you're going to see Satan doing everything in his power to destroy the children of God. Amen? Why? They're going to bring Jesus into the world. Satan is still at work trying to destroy you because you are bringing light into this world. And so make no mistake, this passage, though intended very specifically for the children of Israel, speaks to us this day as well. God still hates sin. He despises sin. And in understanding that, and even knowing that God allows it. God allows sin, doesn't he? We talked about this on Sunday. God is sovereign, amen? He can do anything, anytime, anywhere, any place, and has the power to do it. He can't be taught anything. He's not running around going, oh man, I don't know how to do that. If God is sovereign, then he has to allow sin. Because he could stop every sin. And you better be really thankful for his mercy at this point. Because the fact that he allows you to sin is mercy. He does not give you what you deserve. Because he would be absolutely just, think of this for just a moment, absolutely just, the very first sin anyone ever commits. <clears throat> That's a nice pile of ash. Won't have to worry about that one anymore. He would be absolutely just. He's perfect. He's holy. He can't dwell in the face of sin. But in his mercy, he allows it to exist. And in us turning from it, we show our loyalty, our faith, our trust, our commitment to him. So when people say, well, I'm saved, but I can do whatever I want, I beg to differ with you. Because two things occur. 
One, you're telling God he's wrong. Number two, you're spitting on the cross of Christ. That's not a good thing to do. That was God's son who hung on Calvary's cross. I do not believe that God enjoys watching his son being, if you will, re-crucified. That passage there in Isaiah chapter 59, it says this, verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy. That is, that is a, another way to say he's not deaf, that he cannot hear. But your iniquities, and that word translated could be translated as well sin, your iniquities have separated you from God. Why? Because he can't look on sin. So every time we engage in sinful behavior, God is going, can't watch, not engaged, not doing it. And it is not until you say, Lord, forgive me, that that becomes a non-issue with him again. As long as a Christian walks in open rebellion to God's word in sin, you are separated from God. Now, it may be a little separation. It may be a big separation. It might be a total separation at some point in time. But the question is, why don't you just do what he says? Then you can have zero separation. That's a good deal. It goes on to say, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear your prayer. I don't know about you, but I like to know when God's... I, I want to believe that he's listening. You know, a, a sure way to help with that? Stop sinning. God hates sin. Don't go into the camp and do what you want. Don't go into this world and do what you want. Don't practice things that God clearly has convicted you you ought not do. That was what he told them. He says, look, it's going to make every sense in the world. Now back to the situation. It will make every bit of good sense in the world for you to go and take every cow and every sheep and every goat and every bushel of corn and maybe even take a slave or two and take all their household goods, take their garments, take everything. You just take it all back with you. Makes sense to me. And God says, don't do it. That's how much he hates sin. They are a polluted people. If you take their stuff into your camp, pretty soon you're going to be polluted too, is what he was telling them. Doesn't take long, does it? Probably every one of you knows somebody who's dabbled with sin a little bit somewhere in their life only to become enslaved to it. It's how it works. Sin is subtle. Romans chapter 6 reminds us of this truth. What shall we say then? And of course you all know that the book of Romans is how we know justification by faith. It's how we know grace. It is, it is Paul's treatise on the subject of salvation. Where we have the Romans road. Amen? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For there is none righteous, not one. To as many as received as them. All these amazing truths. People don't like chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? You see, the question is, if we're saved by grace, why can't we just do whatever we want? 
Because God is holy. Your life was paid for with the blood of Christ. And he hates sin. That's why. And so what's the answer? Certainly not, verse 2 says. How shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? Amen? Say amen. And, and the reason is this. Heavenly of God, these must be truths that we live, not just know. Because if not, you're going to see in chapter 7, Achan was only off by a little bit. Achan was only off by a little bit. This was not some major deal. But he failed to obey God's word. The Jews obviously didn't believe most of this because they then went on to pen some of the Psalms that we can look at, like Psalm 105. It says there in verse 33, Because they rebelled in the Spirit, He spoke rashly in His lips. That's God speaking. They did not, He did not destroy the peoples as they, had, as they had been commanded. They didn't do it. And therefore, it says in verse 40 of, of Psalm 106, the wrath of God was kindled against them. God takes very seriously some things that we don't take too seriously. And again, I want to just simply encourage you. This is setting up chapter 7. He's saying, look, you've won the victory. I want 100% of you. Let me give you an example. The alcoholic that thinks it's okay to have a recreational amount of alcohol. The drug addict that thinks it's okay to smoke a little bit of dope. After all, it's way better than crack. The guy that's had the problem with pornography that just decides, well, I'll just, you know, look at these kind of... They're not really porn, but they're almost. You get the picture? You don't want any of it. Zero is the amount of sin that we should want in our lives. And yet we learn to tolerate it. We learn to live with it. Very dangerous. And I believe most of you get that. I think when we look at these things, we, we just have to remind ourselves that you know what? Sin kills. The world is an, a polluted place, amen? So don't think it's your friend. Don't wander around going, well, you know, it won't get me. Think of how many... Famous people you can think of off the top of your head. It won't get me. I won't get caught. Scripture says, know this. Your sin will find you out. Not might. Not could. No maybe in it. It will. One way or another. God loves us. He's not going to let us do things that are going to harm us. So because of his hatred for sin, we have to do some hard things sometimes. Like get rid of friends that we kind of sort of like. Stop hanging around in those places that we shouldn't be. Maybe we have to be a little less dependent upon the almighty dollar and a whole lot more dependent upon the Lord God who is the Lord Jehovah Jireh, our provider. 
There are lots of things that God asks of us that we would like to not do because they, for us, don't seem to make sense. Tell me of God. Let me share with you tonight. Learn to hate sin. Learn to shake your head and go, what in the world am I thinking? Be quick to say, look, that's dangerous. And do it for your friends and do it for your family. Be bold. Be kind, but be bold. Say, look, man, I'm concerned for you. My heart aches for you because where you're going is not someplace a child of God should go. What you're doing, a child of God should not engage in. Children of Israel did not do that for everybody. Somebody should have been up there. I think there was a lack of commitment from others other than Achan. Because I don't think he got out of Jericho with all of his stuff unseen. I think there were some others that were probably complicit in his little deal. As we look at that passage in Hebrews 6, and I'm just going to encourage you to read it. It's pretty clear. It's impossible for those who are once enlightened. Tasted the heavenly gift. It just goes on and on and describes who we are in Christ. When when you look at what that actually says, we ought to hate sin just like God hates sin. We ought to be running from it, not towards it. Now some good news, amen? Here we have an awesome alert. God always saves his own, no matter how few, no matter how many. That's the good news for the church. You know, one day the rapture is going to happen. All the struggles and strains that we go through in this life are going to be over. And we have that heavenly hope. And Rahab is a picture of that. And in picturing Rahab, I want you to see how wonderful God is. It would have been a whole lot less trouble to just wipe everybody out. Forget saving Rahab. She's in there with a bunch of scumbags. Amen? That's a way to look at it. It's a metaphorical way. But she kind of chose the wrong crowd to hang out with. But she also loved God by faith. And so God saved her. So God's grace is sufficient for our failures. But Rahab believed by faith. She clung to God. There's an interesting thing. I don't know if you know it or see it there or not. And we'll get to it in a moment. But it appears it was her house was the only house that stayed up. Because you can't go inside a house that isn't still standing. If it's laying flat. So can you imagine what that looked like to the Jewish people? The whole city completely destroyed, laid flat, except for one house with Rahab and her family in it. God is good in that regard. And I, I don't want you to think that the Canaanites were helpless or ignorant either. They had been given all kinds of opportunity by the Lord for 440 years that we know of. From the time of Abraham to the time of Moses, the Canaanites had had a godly representative in their land. A prophet speaking the truth. Someone saying, look, this is not cool. 
There was a Bible-believing church on the corner, if you want to look at it that way. There were, there were some Christians, if you want to look at it that way. There were some people who believed by faith, forerunners, if you will, of who we are in Christ that were in that area. And they were living godly lives. Not perfect, but godly. So the Canaanites did have the other side. They weren't just slaughtered, you know, without knowledge. God didn't just wake up one day and go, well, I really just don't like these people, so I'm going to kill them all. God would be completely unfair, completely unjust, if all he did was pick out people and say, look, I, you know, ah, you're an Arab, sorry. God desires all men to be saved. Come to the knowledge of repentance. That's what his word plainly states. But he wasn't willing to compromise. And so you have to pick and choose which side you're going to be on. It's part of the picture here. In Exodus chapter 20, if you remember, first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Remember that one? He's making good on that promise, isn't he? So you can't do it. You're not going to be worshiping like they worship. Not and be my people. And if they're that big of a temptation to you, then I'll just take care of that. Read that passage. You're not to bow down to him. You're not to serve them. He's a jealous God. But he also showed mercy to thousands on those who love him and keep his commandments. He was merciful to them. He always saves his own. And so when, when we sing our praise songs, one of those old ones, white as snow, white as snow, though my sins be as scarlet, Lord, I know. You see, the only way for that to happen is for us to engage the Lord in the act we call repentance. To confess our sins, let him forgive them. Don't get to keep them and hang on to them and be white as snow. That, that is how it works. It's also the reason, it's a way we can understand what 2 Corinthians chapter 6 reminds us of, that we're not to be unequally yoked to unbelievers. Amen? And he goes on to tell us, or what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion has light with darkness? Christ with the devil? It says Belial, but that's another name for the devil. The Lord's always hated sin. And he's always had a witness in this world. From Adam and Eve to this day, there's always been a way to know him. Always been a way to know him. And for those that seek, they'll find. And so when you look at Rahab's house there in verse 22, notice what it goes on to say now. As you think of the Canaanites, it's, it's pretty staggering. And he goes on in verse 22, And Joshua had said to the men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house. Notice it says, Go into the harlot's house. This is after the walls have come down. And from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as was sworn to her. And the young men who had been spies went into the house and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. Powerful witness. Her faith had obviously been passed along to her family. Very, very powerful lesson for us. 
You never know what the faith of one person can do in a family. Maybe you have one of those families where you feel like you're the only person that really even cares anything about God. Don't forsake being a witness in your own home. You never know to what extent your children are watching, your husband's watching, your wife might be watching. Be Christ. Be Christ-like. Let them see what it's like to live a life of faith. And because of it, they were saved in this case. They brought out all of her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. That's where they had to be because they were considered unclean. They were Gentiles until the men were circumcised and they made a commitment to follow Jehovah God. They burned the city and all that was in it with fire. And if you go to the ruins of Jericho today, there's a layer about three feet deep. It rings all the way around the entire city. It's just ash. The city was burned with fire. Only the silver and the gold, the vessels of bronze and iron that they put into the treasury into the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day, speaking of the day that these words were written. The events happened uh, probably 10 to 15 years before they were written down or thereabouts. Because she had hid the messengers from Joshua who sent out a spy to Jericho. And then Joshua charged them at the time. Now remember, the city's already cursed. It's been pretty clearly so by the Lord. But the servant of the Lord repeats the commands of the Lord. Very important lesson here. I don't get to make up what I want God to say. I just need to repeat what he's already said. Every once in a while, I may stumble on something a little bit. But as a general rule, I'm just simply repeating to you what God's already said. That's what Joshua does. Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds in the city of Jericho. For he shall lay its foundation with its firstborn, and he shall with his youngest set up its gates. He's saying, we don't even want to be there, much less to take anything from it. We want to get as far from sin as we possibly can. And so as they do that, it's really a picture of grace, isn't it? Rahab was saved by grace. Unmerited favor. She was from the town of Jericho. I'm sure there was enough of her relatives that knew what was going on that she was probably guilty by association in one way, shape, or form. Some of you may feel like in this country you're guilty by association. I do. I just found out today just the the Danish courts. And if you know anything about what's going on in our world right now with regard to the the current pressure to make marriage into something more than just between a man and a woman. It started in Denmark. It began in Denmark. You know what became legal, the law in Denmark today? All pastors must perform gay weddings. Happened today. Forced. Now, your only option is get out of the ministry. Individual pastor's only exemption is stop being a pastor. So there's societal pressure on us to cave in, amen? Always has been. I'm sure there was societal pressure on Rahab. Ah, you know, we're a lot more fun than the Jews. I mean, look at them. Look at us. We live here on this nice hill. We have wine. We got meat. Our gods are... Really awesome. 
They ask nothing of you. You get to have lots of fun at church. Kind of sounds like the world that we live in to this day. In a lot of ways. The spies didn't have to go looking for a red cord. They could just look and find the one house that was still standing. They didn't have to search very hard. God said, that person right there. In that abundant grace, we end up with Rahab in the lineage of Jesus. Amen? And like Jericho of old, when you think about it, our present world is under the judgment of God as well. Amen? Our present world is under the judgment of God. You don't, you know, people can argue all they want about it. But God's word's very clear. Because of this, Romans 1 says, the wrath of God is upon the unrighteous. Period. And then he goes on to list all these things. And it's kind of like reading a list of what Americans like to do for fun. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, as I shared with you, Galatians 5. Read those passages. God's very clear what he has said is going to be the case in the last days. Lovers of money. Hmm. Maybe. So our world is very similar. And God has given us plenty of evidence that we can be saved. Amen? The church, that's what we are. Look, if God can save me, He can save anybody. And so as I say these things, I'm simply repeating the truth to you. And then when you meet people, you can use you as the example. I get to use me because I'm me. Well, look, if God can save me, if God can use me, if God can transform me, if God can turn me into a, a, a pastor, if God can put me in full-time ministry, if God can do those things, then he can save anyone. And that's basically all of our stories, isn't it? God can save anyone. All you need to do is say yes to Jesus. In all of this, the tragedy is that people will choose not to believe. And they still do that. Not that there isn't enough evidence. They just simply choose to follow after the world. Nobody's ever going to get to accuse God of throwing them into hell in that sense. Whoever ends up there, ends up there because that's where they chose to go. It wasn't God's doing, it was man's doing. God gave them the opportunity to not be there. We're not told how many people left Jericho in the middle of the night. Or after the troops started marching around the city, they said, you know what, this is so weird, I'm leaving. I've kind of watched what these Jews are doing. Hmm, I think I'm out of here. God gives us the ability to believe by grace and through faith. That wicked city was doomed. Exactly as it says. It was, it was doomed. That's the tragedy. God is perfect, though, in all that he does. But he's also a consuming fire. And so realistically, family, all God's saying is here, after the victory, make sure you get right with God and do what he says. It's not hard. It wasn't hard for them. It's not hard for us. It just takes obedience. It takes us going, you know what, God, you're right. That's not that's not helpful for me. I know your word says I shouldn't do that. So 
surprise, surprise, I'm not going to do that. I know your word says that that will be a destruction to me. I don't need any more destruction. i got enough of that. I want to do something that builds up and edifies, strengthens. And so the last verse says here, And so his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped until he became strong. Uh, It's just, you know, as you look at the lives of some of the greats of faith, I, I was thinking of King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah kind of blew it at the end of his life. There's a reason why. He kind of got a little cocky with God. Kind of forgot who he was. Let's just remember who God is and do what he says. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time tonight. and Lord, we pray that you would just strengthen us. Father, we look forward to a time when we'll not struggle with anything or we'll be in your presence forever. But until that time, help us to hate sin because you hate it. And it's not because you hate us. You know sin destroys, it kills It harms us, and you love us. And so, Lord, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that your grace truly is sufficient. And then we can believe by faith. We don't need to be super saints. But we will become more saintly as we grow in you. And so, Lord, help us with that. Help us to have a disdain for the things that you don't like. And help us to love what you love. Help us to love each other. Help us to love the lost. Help us to be light. Help us to be salt. Bless us, God, with your presence in our lives, we pray. Help us to never take anything out of the wicked world that we live in. Lord, help us to dwell in your presence always. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.